Welcome to Fully Vetted, Animal Care News from the Clinic to the Farm, presented by the Ohio Veterinary Medical Association. Hey there, thanks for tuning in to today's episode. I'm Kristen Bennett, and my co-host, Mia Cunningham, and I are pleased to welcome Dr. Alexia Chakiris back to the show. Alexia is an assistant professor for the College of Integrative Veterinary Therapies and vice president of the American College of Veterinary Botanical Medicine. She was on the show last year as part of our 2023 Midwest Veterinary Conference preview series. And she's here today to chat with us about the use of herbal medicine to treat animals with anxiety. So welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, everybody. Absolutely. So let's just kick off our conversation with a quick reintroduction to you. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? Absolutely. I am Dr. Alexia Jakiris. I graduated from the Royal Vet College in 2005. I started out as a totally conventional vet and about a year, two years into practice, I was really frustrated with how things were going, how my cases were going. I had this super supportive chief of staff who I'd go to her and be like, this is what I'm doing. Am I doing anything wrong? And she was like, no, you're doing it right. And I'm like, but things aren't getting better with these cases. Like, what the heck? And so I happened upon some lectures in acupuncture at a conference out in San Diego. And I was like totally engrossed. I didn't want to leave the room. And acupuncture just really, really was calling me. And I signed up for the course, which is then where I was exposed more to herbal medicine and how we can use them in our patients. And like my whole world was just opened up to other ways I can help my patients. And that's what I've been doing ever since. I imagine that there are a lot of skeptics out there, both among veterinarians and pet owners. Can you give us a brief overview of research that supports the use of herbs in veterinary medicine specifically for anxiety? Absolutely. So I love me some PubMed, as many of my clients know, because I talk about her all the time. Um, but if you go into PubMed and just start searching anxiety, herbal medicine, which I did, 788 results show up. Anxiety and phytotherapy have over a thousand results. So there is research out there and there's a lot more coming out every day um, because, you know, we have to grow and expand as a profession and where are we getting our ideas for medicines from? Usually it's from plants. I think something like 50% of our medicines have been derived from plants. So using the actual whole plant and researching it or even active constituents from plants, whatever it is, there's a good amount of research out there. So not only do we have the traditional knowledge that we have, right, where something may have been used for thousands of years, and we let other people kind of perfect how it was used, we know how it's used. And now using our modern research methods, we're able to actually look at it and figure out why it's working in that way and how it's helping. So it's a really nice combination of old meets new. Well, Dr. Shakiris, what kind of formal education um, and certification did you complete to become a registered herbalist? First and foremost, I had to do a lot of continuing education, quite honestly. The American Herbalist Guild is kind of the main governing body for herbalists here in the States, and they have some really rigorous requirements to become a registered herbalist. So I had to complete over 2,000 hours of formal classes. I did this through a combination of veterinary as well as human schools. 
I got my graduate diploma and my certificate in veterinary Western herbal medicine from the College of Integrative Veterinary Therapies, which is based in Australia, from Chi University in Florida. I also got my certificate in herbal studies from the David Winston School of Herbal Medicine, where his school is human-based, and then just continuing education classes through the Veterinary Medical Botanical Association, the American College of Veterinary Botanical Medicine, conferences put on by the AHVMA. So there's been a lot that I've done because, you know, I am that person where I want to know that I am qualified. You know, it's like going to vet school. You got to be super qualified, right, to get out of there. And so the same thing here where I didn't want it to be a willy-nilly, oh, I, you know, I use herbs because I went on to Google. Not cool. I want to be super proficient, prolific, know what I'm doing, and be an expert at it before I'm going to go and use it in my patients. Gotcha. Well, it sounds like you've definitely done the work. (laughs) I'm trying, I'm trying. (laughs) Now, for those listeners who are still a little curious, do you have to be a veterinarian and or certified to be able to prescribe herbs? Oh, we're getting into shady areas now. (laughs) So, because herbs are not FDA regulated... It is a really interesting gray line here, right? Where as a veterinarian, I am able to prescribe for my patients because they are my patients and I'm a doctor, but you'll find people out there who are herbalists or they say they're herbalists. They may have a certification, they may not, and they're out there and you can book a consultation with them and they can treat your pet. And listen, if they are registered herbalists, they know what they're doing, right? And as long as they have a background in animal pathology, pathophysiology, you know, like as long as they understand their patient, that's one thing. But it's like everything else out there where you have to be really careful with who you're trusting and like what is their education and their background. I've had people who I couldn't treat because they were in a different state and they called some rando herbalist because they could. And again, there are people out there calling themselves herbalists and they're not certified or trained properly. And I imagine there's a lot of confusion around that title. You know, it's not like a DVM or an MD where, you know, there's a lot of education and a whole regulatory body behind it. It's a lot more nebulous when you're talking about alternative therapies. Most people probably don't know if there are any regulations or what standards herbalists are held to. Yeah, because we live in a world where like, I can make up a certification and give it to you. You know, like, there's no governing body over me if I'm not a college or a university that's accredited, right? It's the world we live in and people really, really, really need to educate themselves before jumping in. I have people coming in with bags of supplements and they're like, I have all of this. And I'm like, oh God, okay. I I don't have time to like call every company and find out their manufacturing processes. <laughs> so if we could be there to help them, that would be lovely. Well, along those same lines of being educated, for anybody who is new to herbal medicine, myself included, can you explain how the process works from a logistical standpoint? Like, do you grow the herbs and mix them yourself? And if not, where do you get them? And how do you verify the quality? You know, what does that process look like? Oh, I wish I grew the herbs and mixed them myself. But no, I'd need like a massive farm. I live on like half an acre in New Jersey. So I do grow some herbs, but I'll like make tea with it for myself and my kids, my dog. But otherwise, you know, I'm buying my herbs from really good companies that are out there like Standard Process, Herbalist and Alchemist. I'm always looking for a company that has good manufacturing 
they're part of the GMP. I'm calling them. I want to know who's doing your third-party testing. Are you testing it before you're making the product? Are you testing it after you're making the product? How do you know how much is in there? And so it's really about vetting the companies to make sure that you're getting a quality product. I'll use herbs in all sorts of forms. I'll use liquid formulations, which are called tinctures. And those are either alcohol or glycerin or vinegar extracted herbs where you stick it in there. This is making it sound really easy, but you put it in and then all the active constituents are pulled out into the liquid. And then that liquid form is what we give our patients and ourselves. There's also powdered formulations, there's tablets. And then if you use the whole herb, which I really love for teas that you can drink, you can apply topically, you can soak your feet in, whatever you like. So there's all sorts of different forms that that I'll use. And so if I'm kind of using a standardized product, like a lot of the traditional Chinese medicine formulas or the Campo formulas, they'll come kind of pre-made in a combination of like four to 20 different herbs. Otherwise, if I'm creating a formula for a patient specifically, usually I'll use tinctures because then I can combine five to 10 herbs based on whatever that patient is needing. And then teas, you know, sky's the limit, whatever you want to do with them. When you're creating these treatments, how do you determine whether you need a tincture or a tea or a capsule? Is it based on the ingredients you're using or the specific condition you're treating or something else entirely? That's a great question. So sometimes I'll see a patient and I know there's a formula that they need and maybe it's a TCVM formula that I'm like, oh, this is a pre-made one. This fits you perfectly. Like this fits your pattern. Let's do that. And then there's others where like, I have to address your heart. I have to address your stress. I have to address your gut. I have to address circulation. And then I'll make a tincture. Sometimes it comes down to what can I get the patient to take? And so I have to kind of readjust and pivot based on can they take a tincture hidden in a delicious treat or is a tablet better? And if a tablet's better, then what formulas are out there that would best fit them? So it's kind of a combination of everything because compliance is huge because if they're not taking it, then it's useless. So what are some of the herbs that are commonly used to treat stress and anxiety in pets? Well, the beauty of herbal medicine is that because there are so many different herbs out there, there's so many different ways to address the underlying causes of anxiety in the patients. So by using herbs, we're bypassing the conventional reductionistic concept of how drugs work. We're like, you know, you got this thing, it goes into the receptor, bang. But with herbs, you know, herbs are affecting multiple physiological functions. You know, they call it a polyvalent pharmacological activity because we're affecting so many different areas of the body because herbs have hundreds of active constituents. So because of that, it always depends on the patient, right? So yes, there's herbs out there like valerian, which is fantastic for muscle tension and stress. But if that's not fitting my patient, then that's not what I'm going to use. For the most part, I'm almost always using herbs which are categorized as adaptogens. So I'll use at least one adaptogen in a formula. Adaptogens are therapeutic group of herbs which increase adaptability, it increases survival and resilience in stress and aging by triggering intracellular and extracellular adaptive signaling pathways. 
So they help regulate the HPA axis. So the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. So it really helps in metabolic regulation, homeostasis, as well as just keeping things at a more balanced level. So I'll almost always use an adaptogen in a formula. I also want to make sure I'm addressing the gut and gut health because we know that something like, I don't know, it's like 60 to 80% of our serotonin is made in the gut. And so if the gut's inflamed and out of control and we're not making things, then I can give you all the adaptogens you want, but like we need to be addressing the gut, right? So I want to make sure I'm addressing the gut. I want to make sure I'm addressing pain anywhere. Circulation, like especially with our older patients and our older selves, getting blood flowing to the brain, right? Like, is that part of what's going on? And is there pain? Because someone who wakes up with pain in the morning, like that's going to also increase your stress and anxiety. So I want to make sure I'm addressing that as well. So the longer the short is, there's many herbs, but it always depends on the patient. And here's the thing, you can make a kind of a standard formula and give it to 100 people. And honestly, it'll probably work in like at least 50 of them. Maybe it's not super specific for them, but something like chamomile, right? Whether you have an upset stomach or you know sleepy time tea to go to bed, just kind of that take the edge off. Chamomile also is a digestive bitter. It's anti-inflammatory for the gut. So it also helps in that way. And there's other herbs like passion flower, milky oats, ashwagandha. Everybody's talking about it. Ashwagandha is amazing. So we all should be taking it. So there's many, many herbs out there. I don't know if anybody out there has ever been put on an antidepressant. I have way back in vet school. You go to the doctor and they're like, let's start with Lexapro. And you give it a month and you're like, that did nothing for me. And then you move on to the next one. And then you move on to the next one, right? I know they talk about now like doing tests to see what would specifically fit you, but we're not there yet, right? And so it could be the same thing with herbs where we make a formula, reevaluate in a month, How are we doing? Is the edge taken off 10%, 20%, 50%? I'm always praying for a miracle. But sometimes there is some trial and error in it. There's not a one size fits all. And then also it's about addressing everything else in life too. Well, that's, that's got to be hard to evaluate in animals too, because you know, they can't be like, yeah, I feel 25% better. So how do you begin to evaluate the effectiveness of any given treatment? Exactly. So I'm always looking at what were the main complaints when the client first came in and also looking at how was the pet the first time. I mean, sometimes the first time they're just anxious no matter what, like it's a new place. I do everything I can to make them calm and comfortable. But like at the end of the day, it's a new place. So like first, second visit, I'm always asking clients, were they 5% better? Were they 10% better? Let's say a dog is like noise reactive. Were you able to refocus them faster? Let's say it took them 10 minutes to settle down in the past. Maybe they settle down now after five minutes, maybe after one minute, or maybe they're eating better. Maybe they're going for more walks. They have more energy. So we're looking at little clues to see how they're doing. You talked a little bit about how there's no one says fits all approach, but are there any herbs that are universally bad for stress and anxiety that you should stay away from? So yes, there are toxic herbs out there and you have to be careful. That's also where third-party testing is kind of really huge because you want to know that there's not any contaminants in there. There are some herbs which are toxic that can be used in like really small doses, like drop dosing. But only an experienced herbalist should ever use those. Like poke, right? 
the berries are toxic. If you eat more than one berry, you're going to like be purging yourself all day long. No, thank you. But the root in very low doses can be really, really good for lymph flow. I personally don't really tend to use the toxic herbs ever. If I'm going to play with anything, I'll play with it with myself, but I'm not going to give it to a patient. You know, I don't want to scare people and be like, oh, there's a ton of toxic herbs out there. Because again, you have to really go looking for them. You're not going to find anything commercially available that's going to be toxic if you're buying from a quality source. I'm sure you could buy anything from anybody these days. But there's so many other herbs out there. Why are we going to bother with the super toxic one? Well, Doc, what do you think? Like, are, are there cases that you find that are better suited for herbal medicine? I don't like to put anything in a box anymore. I want to be very open-minded in my approach. So I don't think that there's cases that we can say like, oh, you should only have herbs for this, or you should only have conventional pharmaceuticals for it, right? I think no matter what, adding herbs in can always be helpful. I've had patients come in who can't handle NSAIDs at all, right? They're getting diarrhea, they don't want to eat, they just can't do it, but they're in pain. So what are we going to do? And so they are managed just on herbal medicine. And so these are the cases where it's not saying that herbs are the only way, but for these patients, they are. And so that's where we really have to take the time to look at individual cases. And anxiety-wise, it's the same thing. I have some clients come in where they don't want to put their dog on an SSRI or another type of anxiolytic. Like I have people coming in saying, I don't want my dog to be a zombie, which I agree. I don't want anybody's dog or anyone to be a, a zombie, but that's not necessarily always the case. If you're going to go on a conventional medicine, sometimes you need to. And as long as you're getting proper dosing, then you shouldn't be a zombie. And if you are, that's the wrong medicine for you. But I'll have people come in who want to start with herbs and see if they can get their pet more settled. And then if we can't fully do it, then we add in a conventional antidepressant. But I also really believe that there is no magic pill, especially for stress and anxiety. You know, you have these people who come in, they want the magic pill, right? As someone who has been through it ever since a child, like there's no magic pill. It is a multimodal approach, whether you're taking medicine, herbs, herbal medicine, like whatever it is, but you also have to look at your diet, right? You have to look at your gut, your microbiome, your environment, your immune system. Like you have to take everything into consideration. I'm not like, here's an herb, you're going to be fixed magically, the herb is definitely going to help you, but we have to look at all the other areas of life to see what else is contributing to the stress. Because it's like if a dog comes in and they're chronic vomiters because they're eating something that just irritates them, I can give you all the things that I want to give you. But if you continue to eat that, you're going to continue to irritate yourself. And we should look at the cause of the problem. So in what circumstances do you think um, a more conventional approach would be preferable over a holistic one? You know, I hate the like conventional versus holistic. I think we should all just really be working as one. Holistic approach just means we're looking at the whole patient. It's not saying it's using natural medicine or medicine from nature. It's I'm literally looking at my whole patient. When it comes to stressed out patients, I do have some patients where I'm like, this dog needs everything, right? Like you need conventional medicine, you need herbs, you need everything. And I'm not afraid to say that, like do it all because I've had them come in on three, three medicines. 
for their behavior and it's not touching them. Obviously, it, it's, it's not the answer. So let's take a step back, reapproach this case. How can we get to the bottom of things? And that's also where, like, I don't know, maybe we need to look at neurodiversity, where sometimes we are who we are and how can we work with it and what are our expectations as well. That's all we have time for today, but be sure to tune in next time as we finish our conversation with Dr. Chikiris. That's a wrap on today's episode. Special thanks to today's guest for joining us on the show. And thank you to our listening audience for tuning in. As always, please feel free to visit fullyvettedpodcast.com for show notes and to provide listener feedback. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe on Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. Don't forget to follow Fully Vetted on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Like the show? Please submit a quick rating and comment on Apple Podcasts to help us reach more listeners like you. Until next time, stay safe and be well.